0: Dear Father God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the opportunity that we have uh, living in this country to come before you freely, to come before you in anticipation, to come before you and be blessed by your word, to come before you and explore what it is that you are saying to us as individuals and as a community. And God, as we dive into your word this morning, we pray that it will help give us a better understanding, a better understanding of you, a better understanding of ourselves, and a better understanding of how that leads us to live our lives. Father God, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the blessing of this season. We thank you for the gift that we have of joining in fellowship in a community of believers. Lord, we give you this time, in your name we pray. Amen. So there's a verse in the Bible that uh, I've heard throughout my entire childhood, and always often just referenced by the verse itself. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And that verse itself, I've seen it as tattoos on people's bodies, I've seen it as life verses, I've seen it as verses for graduating classes, because it's a verse that, that, in all honesty, just gives a warm sense of affirmation, an affirmation that God is designing, God is planning, and that there's a very specific role for us in that process. I had heard that voice throughout my entire childhood and in through university, And I thought to myself, I actually have no idea, this was about 15 years ago, what the context is around that Bible verse. I mean, it's from the book of Jeremiah, so Jeremiah probably said it. But beyond that, who did he say it to? Why was it said? What was the scenario and the setting of the day? Because context means everything. There's an old preacher's joke that I'm sure many of you have heard me say before where a pastor is looking for a verse to preach on on a Sunday morning and he goes, God, just let me know, I just need like one verse and he flips open his Bible randomly and points and the verse says, and then Judas hung himself and he's like, oh, closes it and he's like, all right, let's try this again. Look, God, I just need one verse to preach from. He flips it again and ends up in Proverbs and points and the verse says, now go and do likewise. And he closes the Bible again, and he's like, okay, one verse, one verse. And he flips it open again and points, and it says, what you do, go and do quickly. The reality is, if we don't look at the context, the meaning behind the verses, we can actually end up sometimes missing the depth, the, the reality, the purpose, the plans, the full picture of just how amazing the work of the Lord is. And I think we do this verse a huge disservice as Christians when we pull it out and use it as a staple slogan for something that we want to be encouraged by, something that we look at and say, yeah, I could see myself fitting into that verse. So this morning, we're going to take a few minutes and dive into this whole Jeremiah chapter 29 and look at this verse in the greater context of what was actually going on culturally what was going on historically, what was going on communally, and how does this promise fit into what was actually taking place in the day and the time of the age? Now interestingly enough, statistically speaking, Christians today have the weakest biblical knowledge in terms of major prophets and minor prophets. Because it's the part of the Bible that gets a little bit less chronological. It's not centered so much around uh, narratives as the New Testament is or epistles that are very easily understood as from point A to point B in a communication style. So it's not surprising for us today that we need to take a moment to really look into and explore the book of Jeremiah as a whole and ask ourselves the question, Who was he? What was going on in his life? What was his style of leadership? What was his experience as a prophet of the Lord? The reality is Jeremiah prophesied for over 55 years in terms of active ministry for the Lord. Now being a prophet is no easy job in the Old Testament. Uh, In fact, Jesus even said, a prophet will never be accepted in his hometown because being a prophet has to do with speaking words most often and more often than not that people have no interest in hearing. Kill the messenger, that's basically the encompass of what it was like to be a prophet. The vast majority of the time, people did not like you, they did not appreciate you, because they did not enjoy what you had to say, because it very much forced you to either address something with your own life or change the way that you were behaving moving forward. Jeremiah often had to do these things, had to tell people the nation things that they didn't want to hear and address behaviors and attitudes that they didn't even know that they had. Now, Jeremiah was active in two entirely different places in terms of the cultural stability. He was active in a time of basic prosperity, or as much as prosperity at that time could have been, of self-governance of the nation, of a certain amount of prosperity in terms of resources and abundance, and once again, being able to manage and dictate for themselves what they would like to do, how they would like to live, and in that sense, it was a time that a lot of people of the day would have considered somewhat peaceful. But Jeremiah was also active in a time after the fall of Jerusalem and into the Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah had a passionate heart about what it was that he spoke for and what it was that he was calling the nation to. He cared about this concept of sanctity, of having a lifestyle that reflects not only what the Lord asks, but what the Lord leads you to live and behave like for him. This was such an important thing. It would make him almost borderline aggressive when the nation or the people or the people he was speaking to were living in a way that was just outright contrary and with no shame towards living a life that God would not be pleased with. He pushed, he strived, he called for a life of holiness in attitude because he assumed in the most basic sense If as a nation we love God, if as a nation we believe what God is saying, then we will obviously do what he asks for us, and asks of us. So in Jeremiah's mind, if you love God, you will do what he asks of you, and if you don't, there's a real big problem in that one plus one equation here. And thus it made him very, 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 we'll say, There's a a verse from Romans that talks about sanctified aggression, about this uh, anger that is righteous and pure because it is valuing what God values. And sometimes in which how he spoke and how he led, he was very heavy-handed in his words in that sense. And often he would be, in his words, lashing out at the countrymen for their disobedience. But the reason why Jeremiah came to his job so seriously and so passionately is because He had a clarity from the Lord. He knew God's heart and he was getting these glimpses through the words that the Lord was speaking to him about God's plans for the nations. So Jeremiah in his leadership, it wasn't leading out of a place of best guesses or you probably should or shouldn't. It was a place of knowing and seeing a piece of what God was planning for the future. And in that sense, if you're driving down the highway with somebody and they have just taken their eyes off the road for a second and are starting to drift towards that ditch in the middle, causes anxiety for everyone else in the car, that was literally the place that Jeremiah lived. He knew what God was planning and the way the nation was behaving, the way people were living. They were driving at 140, because apparently that's the speed limit, straight towards that center ditch on the highway makes a sense of urgency to getting things back on track, makes a sense of deep desire to see things righted as quick as possible when right around the next bend is going to be a catastrophic accident. And Jeremiah once again had this knowledge so it was easy for him to sift through the ideologies of the day, to sift through the other people who claimed to be a prophet of the Lord and see really, really quickly whether or not what they were saying was true and whether or not what they were saying had to do with what God was planning for the nation. Because he led from a place of knowledge. And as such, he didn't tolerate in any slightest those who either due to ignorance, disobedience, or just uh, a personal sense of opinion on people leading others astray, on people pulling the nation and pulling each other away from God's plan. And I mean, we talk a, a big change in terms of churches today about seeing change and being prepared for change and adapting our style to change, but imagine what it was like for Jeremiah in terms of the words and the ministry that he had. To go from a place of relative comfort like we have right now, living under a nation that allows us to, to some degree, govern ourselves and meet freely and meet publicly and worship freely and declare uh, to the best of our ability that the Lord is true. And even then, there are, Although our society is getting less and less tolerant of Christians saying that God is the only way, we still have a huge amount of freedom compared to a lot of other places in the world to actually say that. Now imagine if today our country was taken over by another nation or our political ideology changed, and imagine we were no longer permitted to meet in public. We are no longer permitted to own our own facility, to create a worship service of our own, to say that Jesus is Lord in public or private. Imagine how drastic of a shift that would be for us in terms of how we do ministry, of how we actually learn to grow our relationship with God in a society that does not acknowledge that God is real and does not give space for anyone to express that in any place. So Jeremiah, in his role of speaking to the nations, of leading the nation, in terms of what God was building towards, he had two totally different worlds that he had to learn to speak through. But once again, the message in that time did not change. The nation of Israel fell apart. Jerusalem was sacked. The Babylonian captivity began. And the nation went from a position of peace and comfort to exile and separation. And the majority of Israel at that point, the relationship that they had with the Lord was strained, although they didn't realize it beforehand. But now that they're now in this new era of exile, there's almost this struggle in terms of anger and frustration with God. That there's a sense of abandonment that God has left them and forsaken them. And I think in that place, the nation is now in a position where they are even less, less able to hear what the Lord is saying. Yet Jeremiah's message has still remained the same. So thus we get to this beautiful, complete promise that God has given in Jeremiah 29.11. But in terms of the timeline of Jeremiah's ministry, chapter 25 to 29 focus on foretelling of this Babylonian exile that comes. Jeremiah in his ministry is prophesying and speaking to the fact that Every piece of sense of comfort and identity that you have is going to be gone and removed. And even in Jeremiah 29, verse 4, Submit to the captors who will enslave you. Number 5, build whatever you can in the space that you have which is going to be minimal and small and not comfortable. Verse 6, continue to grow as a nation as you are under the boot of another nation. Number seven, pray for peace in a time that is not peaceful, that is not joyous, and is not comfortable. Number eight, while all of this awful stuff is going on, don't forget the big picture of what's important here. And number ten, when the 70 years of captivity are over, then the promise of Jeremiah 29, 11 comes. But let's take a minute just to think about that. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a promise that is 70 years from its fulfillment. How many of you, show of hands, anticipate being here in 70 years? Maybe David could probably throw his hand up. Maybe Victor and Nathan in the back. Uh, Liam, maybe? Maybe? That is Probably about it. And Olivia at the back. So, this promise that God has given the nation is one that is not going to happen for 70 years, and the likelihood that 90% of the population is going to be dead before they receive it, before the nation receives it. So, this was a promise. That was never actually experienced by the majority of people who it was given to and who heard it. it. Puts a new color to this really warm and encouraging verse about our lives and the things that we're going through. The reality was that this was a promise that God had made about the future generations of the nation of Israel. So when we look at Jeremiah 29:11 and we look at it from a 21st century mindset, we got to remember first and foremost this verse is not about you and it was not for you. It was not a God a promise that the Lord had made for the 21st century church to look at and to take hold of and to recognize that there's a plan and a prosperity and a blessing from this verse. This verse is a closed communication from God for a specific group of people at a specific time that is no longer relevant for us today. And the Bible is full, full of statements like this, of issues that were addressed and commands that were given that were so culturally centered that we don't do them anymore. Dietary restrictions, issues and teachings on slavery, the aspect of head covering, holy kisses. I haven't seen anybody doing that today. And what's the difference between a holy kiss and a not holy kiss? About 10 seconds. can't remember who said that, but I think it's a lot lower than that. Once again, we look at the Bible and we have to understand that there are things that we read that don't actually have a meaning in in the verse for us today. And the reality is that this promise that God gave was not actually an individual promise. It was not a promise that Joe and Becky would receive a physical blessing and prosperity. It was not a promise that Cal and Linda would receive a Peace and time in their life where they would not struggle, where they would not feel oppressed, where they would not be oppressed. This was a promise to the nation that the situation that you are, they are in, in that time, will come to an end and they will experience the freedom as a body that they once had. And rights and opportunities for a group of people are very different than they are for individuals. If as a group you go on a trip somewhere, what you will accomplish in that group is very different in that tour than if you go on vacation by yourself and one other person to the same place. So when we look at this verse, we realize that this is a promise that God made that wasn't about a lack of pain, it was about a release from the pain. That it wasn't about individual prosperity, but it was about corporate potential. That it wasn't about divine personal plans and opportunities, but it was a promise for the purpose of the body to receive. And why was this promise 70 years in the making? Because humanity screwed up the opportunities that they had. The whole concept of Babylonian exile was due to disobedience, was due to the fact that the community had taken their eyes off the Lord. And the reality is is that we have that same potential as individuals today to make a mess of the Lord, of the plans that the Lord is making. If the Lord provides you an opportunity to open up to the person next to you about faith and you don't do it, if you don't take that step, that leap, that willingness, then the plan that the Lord has made and made for you has now been broken because of, of your obedience, or lack of. And in that sense, this whole promise was only needed because the nation had fallen short of what it was that they were asked to do and what it was they were asked to live and what it was they were asked to accomplish. This passage is the equivalent of looking at a corporate promise that God has made. And I find it interesting that I don't hear people picking I will lead you into a land of milk and honey as their life verse. I haven't seen that verse on inspiration and motivational posters. But that's the equivalent of what is happening in Jeremiah 29.11. A corporate promise for a future generation. So the question is, why do we take so much confidence in this verse? Because it does speak to what God plans for the body of believers who follow Him. There are so many parallels that we see when this verse is applied to the church. And if we look at this verse and look at what God is telling us through the New Testament about what the church will do, what the church will be, how the church will live, then it hits on all the same markers and all the same points that the Lord seeks to prosper the church That the Lord seeks to bless the church. That the Lord seeks to establish the church. So, as we look at these verses and as we look at this understanding of God's plan for us, we need to recognize that it's a fluid process, that it's not a guaranteed input and output scenario. That it's not that God is going to do something and all we have to do is enjoy the ride in that journey. But God creates moments and opportunities for us to display a sense of willingness and faithfulness to take a step and to hear what it is that he has to say. And just like the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the nation about what God was going to do. Whether or not they experienced that was entirely in their own hands as a community. Whether or not they experienced the blessings of God's promises had to do with the faithfulness that they displayed as a body of believers. And you can affect the plan that God has for you. For the positive, but also for the negative. God can work through you in a way to accomplish something amazing because you are willing. Or He can work through you and accomplish very little because you have allowed Him very little. I heard a story not too long ago about these people who were in a rural area of Africa. And they were trying to find their way to a next village over. And they went up to a lady who was on the side of the road, and they said, how far is this next village? And she looked at them and said nothing. They said, no, excuse me, we we need to ask, how far until this next village? And she just stared at them and said nothing. So they knew it was down this road, so they just said okay. And then just started walking, and they get about 30 feet away, and she yells, 20 minutes! minutes! And they kind of stopped and they're like, well, why? So they went back and they're like, well, how, why why didn't you just tell us it was 20 minutes when we asked you in the first place? And her response was, I needed to see how fast you moved before I told you how far away it was. And isn't that the truth about our relationship with God? God needs to see from us what we're willing, what we're ready, what we're able to receive before we can participate in that blessing. We need to allow ourselves an openness to what God is saying. Because the plans that He has for us are not a divine contract and guarantee. But we do affect the outcome of them. But God will find a way to bless through the willing. And I believe that that's why some churches are growing. And I believe that's why some churches are not. In North America, yes, the church as a whole is shrinking. But there are dozens upon hundreds of churches that are growing. The question becomes, what's your metric to evaluate what growth is? And in our community, in the city of Markham, there are churches that are growing week by week, new believer by new believer. And I think that that is the same opportunity that the Lord invites us into to be a part of that type of kingdom work. Because for those who are willing to grow, for those who are willing to listen, anything is possible. As the team comes forward, let's pray. Dear Father God, we appreciate the promise in Jeremiah 29.11. Lord, we appreciate the fact that we can see the fact that you are building the church towards something, towards a blessing, towards, towards a change. And Lord, it's easy for us to look at that and know that you are still working to accomplish the same things today as you did back then. So Lord, we ask for wisdom in how we read our Bible to not just proof text and pull verses out of context because they sound nice. But allow us to read and be blessed through the world that you are building and shaping. For Lord, we know that you have laid out great things for us. And Lord, as a church today, we stand and we say, We are willing. In your name we pray.